0: Father, we are so thankful for all the ways that you've already blessed us this morning. Father, thank you for giving us so many reasons to sing. Father, thank you for all of our wonderful community group leaders and their wives. I pray that everyone here would get involved in a community group soon. Father, we do pray that as the word is preached this morning, you would glorify yourself by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help me only say what you want me to say, nothing more and nothing less this morning. And we pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. What was one of Jesus' favorite topics to talk about? The answer is money. There are over... Four times as many verses in the Bible about money and possessions than verses about faith and prayer. 16 of Christ's 38 parables deal with the subject of money. Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell. One out of every seven verses in the Gospels deals with money. 15% of Jesus' recorded in words deal with the subject of money. The topic of money was important to Jesus because Jesus knew That how we think about money and how we give our money away or hold on to our money is a wonderful barometer or indicator of our spiritual health. And so he was not afraid to talk about money all the time. Now why this topic this morning? A couple of reasons. Um, I have not preached a whole sermon on giving or money in five years. Before that, it had been four years. So that means this is my second sermon on giving and money in nine years. You're welcome. (laughs) Furthermore, uh, we're in between sermon series. So next week, one more topical sermon on our church's mission, and then we will jump into eight or nine weeks Uh, in our sermon series called uh, Restoring Sexual Sanity. (laughs) Furthermore, uh, GCF North is a little behind on giving year to date, and we want you to be aware of that. Now, if you're visiting this morning, we don't expect you to give anything. We're just glad you're here and hope that you enjoy your time with us this morning. So where am I going this morning? Two main points. I want to discuss two things and make some application. First is the motives for giving, uh, and second are the specifics of giving. The motives for giving and the specifics for giving. So first, the motives for giving. Why in the world should you and I consider giving our money to the church? Well, what is the primary motive for giving in the Bible? And The answer is the gospel. Consider the words of 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 9. The Apostle Paul writes these words. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. in this act of grace also. Now the act of grace he's talking about there in context is the act of giving, or the grace of giving. Verse eight, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Rich. In the first five verses, Paul talks specifically about the lavish generosity of the Macedonian church who gave out of their poverty. Then in verse 9, the apostle Paul is trying to motivate the Corinthians to give lavishly like the Macedonians. And how does he motivate them to give lavishly or generously or sacrificially? Look at verse 9 again. Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Though Jesus Christ was insanely rich, he owns everything in the universe. There's no one richer than Jesus. Yet the apostle Paul says, for your sake he became exceedingly poor. He came to earth, lived in poverty, then he suffered and died on the cross. And when he suffered and died on the cross, he had zero possessions. And by zero, I mean zero, not even clothes. He died naked. He gave away all of his wealth. Why? So that in his poverty, you and I would be exceedingly rich. He gave up everything to give us vast spiritual riches. Those of us that are in Christ this morning have the riches of the forgiveness of sins, the adoption by God the Father, the privilege of knowing God. Furthermore, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter one that Christians are joint heirs of Jesus Christ, which means that someday we will inherit everything that Jesus owns. Jesus, through his poverty, through his suffering and death, on the cross, has made us exceedingly wealthy, spiritually speaking. And that's how Paul motivates us to give. He says, look at the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Look at what God has done for you. He's given you everything. In light of that, he calls us, he exhorts us to give. We give because God has given to us. We don't give to make God love us, We give generously of our resources because God has lavished us with spiritual riches. That's the motive, gospel. The motive is love, the motive is grace. That's where this conversation needs to start. So what's the primary motive for giving the gospel? What's another motive for giving? There's many. The next motive is reward. Now I'm not suggesting that you and I should give to get. That would turn... Uh, the gift into an idol and we would be ignoring the giver. At the same time, the Bible over and over again seems to say that when we give generously and sacrificially, God will provide. What do I mean? Matthew 6, verses 3 and 4. Jesus says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. These are the words of Christ in red. Jesus is saying, if you give, I'll reward you. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. Paul says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The apostle Paul says that if you give bountifully, God will provide for you bountifully. And then he says that God loves a cheerful giver. That means that our attitude about giving matters. It matters. How about Luke six thirty eight? Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you, are, you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus is saying, if you give generously, I'll provide. And if we really believe these verses, these words of Christ, we would give our stuff away all the time. Now many, many years ago, I lived in Kirkland when I was single right after college with uh, the local area young life director. His name was Eric Schofield. And Eric was a very generous person. And back then, um, I really began to grow in my love for books. There's a saying that goes like this: "Books are a minister's whiskey. You can never have enough." And back then, I began to collect books. And I had just read a, a fantastic book, uh, the biography of George Whitfield by Arnold Dallimore that really impacted my life. So I said, hey, Eric, I think you should read this book. It's a great book. It, it's really impacted me. This guy was an amazing figure in church history, used mightily by God. Uh, here's, here's a book I want you to borrow, but when you're done, I want it back. He said to me, Dave, don't you believe the words of Luke 6:38? Jesus says, give, it'll be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be given, will be put into your lap, with the measure you use, will be measured back to you. He was saying, Dave, let go of your possessions. Give your stuff away. Trust God. He'll provide. He'll bless you. And this was like a $12 book that I wasn't willing to part with. over the years, I've loaned many, many books out, and I've never, ever, ever got them back. Does that mean that I'm being blessed by God? (laughs) I don't know. I didn't give them away. They were stolen from me. (laughs) If you have those books, God knows. But the point is this. With all of our possessions, do we really believe what Jesus is saying here? Do we believe it? He says, give, it will be given to you. Notice how he describes this. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. What he's saying is, there'll be an abundance of provision given back to you. Now, we often are repulsed by the prosperity gospel, and we should be. But in being repulsed, we often overreact. Christ makes it clear that when you give, he provides. He takes care of us. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that? Now I know that many of you could tell story after story of times when you thought, I can't afford to give this money away, but I'm going to in faith, and God has provided for you supernaturally. That's happened to us numerous times over the years. and I know many of you could tell similar stories. Life is really short, and eternity is forever. So Jesus tells us to store up treasures in heaven by being generous with our things. And speaking of death, Randy Elcorn says this, you can't take your money with you to heaven, but you can send it on ahead, and that is by giving generously. He also says, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. Some of you get that. Some of you are confused right now, Okay? What he means by that is when you're dead, your possessions stay right here on planet Earth. You can't take them with you. You can send them on ahead to heaven by giving away your stuff now. So what is the primary motive for giving the gospel? What's, an, what's another motive for giving? Reward. What's another motive for giving? One more motive. And that is testing God. Testing God. Malachi 3, 6-10. to 10. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, our children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. What an amazing passage. God motivates us in two ways here. He says, if you don't give, you're robbing me. But then he says, I dare you. No, I double dog dare you. No, I triple dog dare you to give, to test me. Test me and see if I will not provide for you abundantly, lavishly. This is the only place in the whole Bible where God commands us to test him. He says, give and see if I will not provide for you lavishly. And again, I know many of you could tell story after story of testing God and watching God provide for you lavishly. Giving generously has a way of building our faith. Faith is like a muscle. It gets stronger the more we use it. Now, some of you may be thinking that you're not in a place to give generously. You think, I can barely afford to pay the bills right now. God is daring you. God is commanding you to test him, and he's challenging you. He's saying, don't rob me, but test me, and see if I will not lavish you with provision. Robert Letourneau put God to the test, and I've told this story many times. It's a wonderful story. Robert Letourneau revolutionized the earth-moving industry before World War II. He had 300 patents to his name. He was insanely successful, but before that, before all of his success, He had at least two or three failed enterprises where he went bankrupt. He was a great risk taker, a wonderful entrepreneur. And after his second failure, he said, God, if you will help me, if you will provide for me, I promise that I'll do a reverse tithe. I will give away 90% of my wealth and I'll keep 10% for myself. And God began to bless him. Over 70% of all the earth moving equipment in World War II was sold by Robert Letourneau. In today's dollars, he was a multi-billionaire. And he gave away 90% of his wealth. I wish he worshipped here at GCF. (laughs) He tested God. And God blessed him. God provided for him. And he kept testing God again and again and again. And God kept providing for him and blessing him. So we've looked at three motives for giving. There are many more, which brings us to the next question. So first, the motives for giving. Second, the specifics of giving. Let me me ask several questions now about the specific mechanics or details of giving. First question is this. Are we biblically obligated to tithe? Now that word tithe literally means 10%. Some Christians think that under the new covenant we are still obligated to obey the tithing laws of the Old Testament. The argument goes like this. The Old Testament saints gave three tithes. So one tithe, the first 10% was given to the Levites, which were basically the pastors, of the Old Testament. The second tithe was a festival tithe given when the faithful visited Jerusalem once a year. And the third tithe was a tithe given every third year to provide for the poor. That means, under the Old Testament, they gave 23% of their income or their wealth to the people of God. Some of you are thinking, I'm glad I live under the new covenant. Aren't you? No one else is thinking that? No one's, okay. So, this particular argument goes like this. Therefore, since we no longer live under a theocracy, uh, there's no longer a temple, we should give 10% to the local church today, the the literal tithe. Because again, in the old covenant, they gave 10% to provide for the pastors or the Levites. So those are the arguments for tithing. Others think that new covenant Christians are not obligated to obey the tithing laws because those laws were part of the Mosaic Covenant, and we now live under the New Covenant, therefore we're no longer obligated uh, to obey the literal tithing laws. And by the way, whenever tithing is mentioned in the New Testament, it's mentioned before the New Covenant is inaugurated by Jesus when he died on the cross. Now the second position seems to make the most sense to the elders of GCF. We do not think that we are legally obligated today under the New Covenant to give Now, if this is right, this brings us to the next question. So if that's the case, Dave, then how much should we give? If we are not legally bound by the Old Testament tithing laws, then how much should we give? The New Covenant does not give a specific percentage. This means that there is freedom. However, it's very hard for me to imagine that God expects New Covenant Christians to give less than than the Old Testament minimum of 10%. Why? Under the New Covenant, we have far more privileges As citizens of the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, Hebrews 8 and Hebrews 10, we know that God has written his law on our hearts. All of our sins have been washed away and everyone in the new covenant knows the Lord and they've all been indwelt by the Holy Spirit furthermore to the new covenant. We know far more about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and we know far more about the glories of heaven So with so much more privilege, with so many more benefits under the new covenant, surely giving three or four percent is not sufficient. Furthermore, if someone says to me, well, Dave, I believe in grace-motivated giving. I do not believe in the tithe, therefore I'm gonna give three percent. I would say to them, my friend, you don't understand grace at all. If you really understood grace and the gospel, you would give sacrificially and lavishly and generously. Furthermore, we are exceedingly wealthy, as I mentioned last week. If your household income is over 71,000, you are among the top 4% of wealthiest people in the world. That's most of you this morning. If you make over $60,000 a year as an individual, it places you in the top 1% of the world's wealthiest people. That means that 99% of the world makes less than you. So again, under the new covenant, we understand all the new covenant privileges, far more than the Old Testament saints. And furthermore, we are exceedingly wealthy compared to all of world history. To whom much is given, much is expected. And with great privilege comes great responsibility. And all of us under the new covenant have tremendous privilege. So although I don't believe that we are legally obligated to obey old covenant laws, including the tithing laws, I believe that 10% is probably the ceiling and not, I'm sorry, probably the floor and not the ceiling for new covenant giving. Randy Alcorn says this about this whole debate of tithes. To me, giving less than a tithe is simply not an option. Someday, I'm going to stand before God and give an account of my life. In that day, I do not want to have to explain why Being indwelt with the Holy Spirit and having lived in the most affluent nation in human history, I failed to give at the very minimal level of those who did not have the indwelling spirit and owned far less than I. Now this is what people often ask, well Dave, should I tithe on my net or my gross income? It depends. Do you want a net blessing or a gross blessing? Well, brings us to the next question. Should you tithe, how much should you give? Third question, how should you give? How should you give? And the answer is sacrificially. Second Corinthians eight, one to four again. Paul says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So again, the new covenant paradigm for giving is not a percentage, but a lifestyle. We should be asking The question, how can I be as generous and sacrificial as possible? Why? Because the gospel and the grace of God has dramatically transformed me. Now, I I think of a small example of this, of sacrificial, generous giving. Many, many years ago, I was in Portland hanging out with some seminary students, and one of these students didn't have a lot of money, but I noticed that he was wearing a really nice, olive drab, wool, Filson jacket. Now those coats now cost roughly $500 new. They're really nice coats. And I said, Tim, that's an awesome coat. You should probably give it to me. Jokingly, jokingly. And he said, well, do you want it? I'll give it to you right now. It's yours. Like, I want to give this jacket to you. I was like, no, Tim, I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm kidding. Please, I'm, I'm kidding. But he was willing in that moment to give me his coat. A very expensive, very nice coat giving sacrificially, giving generously, giving until it hurts. If our giving does not hurt at all, we have to wonder if we are abiding by the New Testament standard of sacrificial giving. If we never have to say no to certain things that we want, that new boat, that new pair of golf clubs, that new rifle, that new travel trailer, whatever it is that you want. If we never have to say no to anything, it probably means that we're not giving sacrificially enough or generously enough to the people of God. Next question. Should you tithe? How much should you give? How should you give? How well should you give? And the answer is systematically. 1 Corinthians 16, 1-2, Paul says, Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, So, you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so there will be no collecting when I come. Now, this passage seems to indicate that our giving should be planned, budgeted, and systematic. It is unwise to give whenever we feel like it because we often don't feel like giving. People who don't give systematically often overestimate how much they give every year. Furthermore, When we get our paycheck, we should give first and foremost to the church. This is the concept known as the first fruits concept found in the Old Testament. Make a plan to give, pursue accountability, and stick to it. Next question, where should you give? Where should you give first and foremost? And the answer is your local church. The Old Testament saints gave their first tithe to support their pastors, i.e. the Levites, the New Testament gives at least three examples of pastors receiving their wages from their local churches. Now, these are most pastors' three favorite texts in the whole Bible, Galatians 6, 6, 1 Corinthians 9, 3 to 12, and 1 Timothy 5, 17. Those texts all indicate that pastors should receive their income from the church. In the New Testament, the local church is the only organization that receives money. Why? The local church is God's plan A to reach the world with the gospel, and there is no plan B. The local church is it. Now, should you give to UGM and Path of Life? Absolutely. Please give to those ministries. We do as a church. But your priority should be giving to the local church first and foremost, if people did not give to their local churches, there would be no pastors, no church buildings, no church planting, no missions, etc. Furthermore, GCF North has very specific needs and goals right now. We would love to pay off this building. Uh, we would love to expand the building and get us back to one service, by the way we're going to two services next Sunday, 8:30 and 11. In the future, we would love to have one service. We're out of classroom space. We're out of office space. These are wonderful problems to have, but they are problems. And we would love to eliminate our debt as soon as possible so that we can potentially expand the building at some point. Furthermore, we would love to spend money hiring pastors and planning churches. Those things cost money. Maybe we'll start a school someday. Who knows? We have all kinds of hopes and dreams and plans, and all those things require money. Furthermore, we want a playground for the kids. For the kids! (laughs) Amen, moms? Amen, moms? Okay. Next question. Should you give everything away? Maybe, maybe not. There are some Christian books and leaders that make it sound like we should give all of our wealth away and live on nothing. Now, some Christians maybe are called to do that, like Robert Letourneau. Yes, the Bible is clear that we need to be very generous and give sacrificially, but the Bible says lots of other things about wealth, too. The Bible says that it's good for a man to leave an inheritance for his children, Proverbs 13:22. That it's wise to build wealth slowly over time, Proverbs 14 24. That our Heavenly Father loves to give good gifts to His children to enjoy, 1 Timothy 6 17. Furthermore, it's good to save for retirement so that you will not be dependent on others when you are too old to work. God does not need our money, we don't need your money. But God gives us the privilege of giving to strengthen our faith and help us grow in intimacy with him. Here's my point. It's important to look at the whole counsel of God when it comes to giving. It is best to err on the side of being very, very generous, but it's not necessarily wrong to have a six bedroom house, uh, buy your wife a brand new KitchenAid blender, buy a nice car, have a lake house, those things aren't necessarily bad. We, we do not believe in asceticism at GCF North. God often gives us things to enjoy for his glory. At the same time, we are called to be sacrificial and generous, and there is a lot of gray there. But the point is, we must consult the whole counsel of God when it comes to wealth and giving. We've looked at motives for giving and the specifics of giving, and that brings us third to some application I want to address for a moment the members who give generously. This is most of you. Most of the members of GCF are exceedingly generous. It boggles my mind that last year you gave over a million dollars to GCF North. That's a lot of resources. That's a lot of hard-earned money. And we are incredibly grateful that the vast majority of you understand what I'm talking about. You trust God and you give and we are so thankful. Keep it up. We need this money to do what God has called us to do as a church. Now, I want to address the minority of our members who give nothing or very little to GCF. We are sad that you are missing out on God's blessings. We are sad that your faith is not growing. And we are sad that you are not keeping your word. Because to be a member here, you agree to the membership agreement, which says that you will give generously and freely to GCF. And we want you to keep your word. And again, in one sense, we don't need your money, God will provide. But we do want you to obey God and experience the wonderful blessings of giving generously and living by faith. Maybe you're thinking, well, Dave, I can't afford to give. Sure, you can. <laughs> sure, you can. If your income was reduced by 12% tomorrow, you would go on living, wouldn't you? You would. You may have to sell your house, sell your brand new car, sell your lake house, I don't know. But you would go on living. You would go on living. So all of us can afford to give if we make certain choices. Our financial problems often begin when we don't Give generously. One thing we can't afford to do is rob God. Maybe you're thinking, if I give generously, that means I can't have, fill in the blank, that new car, those new golf clubs, that new blender, the new lake house, or whatever it is that you think you need right now. But here's the thing, if we have God, if we know Jesus, we have all that we need to be content. We don't need money or the things that money can buy to make us happy. C.S. Lewis said this, he who has God and everything has no more than he who has God alone. I'll read that again. He who has God and everything has no more than he who has God alone. And if we really believe that, we will give our money away freely and watch God provide. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. All we need in life is Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, well Dave, I will give 9%, 15%, or 20%, but the rest is mine. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't think that way on the cross? I'll give these sinners 15% of my life. 20% of my life, but the rest is mine. All of our wealth, all of our resources belong to God. We're just stewards. It all belongs to him. Whether you give 12% or 9% or 30%, it's all God's money. It's all his. And have you prayed and asked God how much of his money he wants you to give? Have you genuinely sat down with your spouse and prayed that, God, show us How much do you want us to give this next year? For some of you, 70% is a lot. For others, 70% is nothing. So ask God what he wants you to give. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm too young to give. If you have a source of income, then you can start giving. And when you start giving when you're 16, 17, 18, it's a lot easier to give when you're 55. If you establish that pattern or that habit of giving when you're young, it just becomes a way of life. and It becomes much easier as you age. Well, maybe you feel condemned right now because you know you have not been generous with the church or with others. If that's you, you must remember that Jesus died on the cross for greedy, unbelieving, idolatrous people like me and you. And because he lived and died and rose from the grave victoriously, all of our sins, including the sin of greed and covetousness and unbelief, all that sin, all that guilt is removed and forgiven. God loves to lavish us with grace. As we sing about this morning, his mercy is more. He wants to help us grow in generosity after he forgives and forgives and forgives again. Don't put off obedience. Go home today, sit down with your spouse, develop a budget for generosity, and have your spouse or your friend hold you accountable to it. And In the meantime, watch God build your faith and provide for you. I titled this sermon, The Good News of Giving. Giving is good news. When you and I give, we have the opportunity to watch God provide and bless us. It's good news. On well, conclusion, consider this the average lifespan is 4,000 weeks. It's not very long, is it? 76 years. 4,000 weeks. Which means the day of final judgment for you and for me is rapidly approaching. It'll be upon us very soon. And everyone here today will give an account to God someday as to how they spent all of his money that he provided them with. And I'm very confident that God's gonna say to the vast majority, majority of you this morning, well done, good and faithful and generous servant. And again, it never ceases to amaze me how generous this particular church is. You gave lots of money sacrificially last year and for that the elders And the members are very, very grateful. So on behalf of the elders, I want to say thank you to all of you who give so much. With that in mind, let's pray.